0: I don't feel safe drinking it from anything but bottled water now after what's happened with the tankers
1: and things. I think the council, you know, have got a lot to answer for. I should have done something about it a long, long time ago.
0: Welcome to Stuff Explained. I'm Jess McCarthy. And today, what on earth is three waters? Now, this is a safe space. It's okay to admit if you've just been nodding along for the last few months, whenever this comes up. You know, it's a big deal. You've heard it on the news. It's been part of local body elections. And depending on where you live, you might even see signs around demanding three waters be stopped. Well, today is the day we find out what those waters are, why there's three of them, and what's got everyone so hot under the collar. To help us piece it all together, we're gonna to hear from two experts. The first of which is Gillian Blythe, who heads Water NZ, which represents our water industry. Kira Gillian. Kira, Jess. Now, just to be transparent before we get things started, Water NZ. They've made public submissions on the government's plans and provided some technical advice. Would you describe Water NZ as on any particular side?
1: So Water New Zealand is an industry association and we've got members from across the supply chain. We've got about just under 3,000 members at the moment and they will have a variety of views. Roger that. So water, it's probably not something that
0: the majority majority of us have to think about day to day. So tell me, what is the state of
1: New Zealand's water infrastructure? We have a massive infrastructure deficit across drinking water, wastewater and stormwater. In practice, we've known that we have a need to invest in the infrastructure for a long time. I can go back to 2000 when Morgan Williams was the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment and he wrote a report which was called Ageing Pipes and Murky Waters and In that report, he basically said that the model had reached the end of its design life. And if we didn't start to do something, then we were going to suddenly have, um, it would be harder to achieve and it would be more costly at some point in the future. And then we've had successive reports from the Land and Water Forum, National Infrastructure Plan, uh, various Auditor general reports that have all pointed to the fact that there were issues happening with the sector. If you then go back to 2016, There was a contamination incident in in Havelock North. I suspect most of the listeners will know somebody who was impacted by that event. About 5,000 people got really sick and a number of people died. There was an inquiry that started to ask the question of why why did New Zealand have that um, contamination event and what do we need to do? And that's when we started having the conversation initially under the national government and then picked up by the Labour Party when they became government around what do we need to do to address the water infrastructure issues.
0: So this Havelock North event was really the, the kind of lightning bolt that made
1: everyone pay attention to just how bad the infrastructure was. It was the incident that highlighted it to the general public. There had been incidents elsewhere in the country over previous decades where there had been contamination um, events and if you were, you know, in a particular region, then you would have perhaps known about it. But the Havelock North one was the one that really brought it to the newsrooms, too, with six o'clock bulletins um, and so forth.
0: Why does this deficit kind of exist in the first place, though? Who's been putting off investing in the infrastructure?
1: Many of us in New Zealand get our water services from from councils. Some of us, um, about 20%, um, have self supplied drinking water or are from smaller schemes. For the majority of us, we receive drinking water and wastewater services and then stormwater services from our councils. Now, councils, like all of us, have got budgets. They've got to manage what they spend their funds on, you know, what, what our rates are getting spent on. And over a number of decades, the councils have not been able for variety of decisions. They've not spent their depreciation to the fullest extent. And so it means that we haven't been able to maintain our assets in the way that we would like. But at the same time, and this is what has contributed to some of this, is that the population has grown. And so actually what they need to be able to do with your rates money and my rates money needs to be spread over a greater number of pipes and other forms of of assets. The other bit is that some of the expectations about how we treat our wastewater, how we treat our sewage, um, the, some of the wastewater treatment plants haven't been upgraded. Their resource consents have expired. And some of that is because actually it's going to cost quite a lot of money for some of them to be upgraded, but also because our expectations about what we expect in terms of you know, the impact of being able to swim in a river or the impact of post a storm event, if there are stormwater uh, or wastewater overflows that have gone on, gone through to a beach, sometimes we will see that you know, do not swim notices. And so those are the sorts of things that we have, we have increasingly seen because we haven't invested.
0: Is there any particular problem areas around the country? Where is it at the, the most critical?
1: So if I just turn to drinking water for a moment, Tomata Arawai released a report in July of this year And that report said that 64% of New Zealanders receive supplies that meet drinking water standards. The report went on to say that 18% of New Zealanders receive supplies that do not meet drinking water standards. Now that's a lot of people. They also said that there was another sort of 18% when we don't actually really know what quality of drinking water they're receiving because they're self-supplies or they're unregistered supplies. So that is different parts of the country. It's across a whole range of suppliers. 295 supplies do not meet the drinking water standards. Wow. Okay, so a country ride problem. How much is it going to cost to put things right? Because I think it's going to be quite a lot. During the last few years, there's been quite a lot of work being done within government investigating what's the cost of of fixing this problem. And so the figures that have been um, released are indicating $125 billion to $185 billion over a 30-year period. Now, to put that into context, because for many of us that will just sound like a huge amount of money and it doesn't really mean much, um, at the $125 billion um, end, that 's at least a doubling of what is spent by councils and suppliers at the moment every single year for thirty years, so it 's not a little blip, but we will have to spend double what we spend today every year for thirty years it's it's just what they currently spend on water rather than rates wise yeah. yeah. and and the and the one hundred and eighty five billion is is more if we start to fix some of the concerns around um, you know, the environmental outcomes that we see from our, you know, both drinking water, wastewater, and stormwater. Now, the bit to also note is that those figures don't take into account the impacts of climate change, of, ty- of climate mitigation, and climate adaptation.
0: So, let's get into the, the nitty gritty, the three waters that everybody talks about. Can you tell me a little bit about what the government's proposal is to get started on fixing all this?
1: The government has this. Has basically proposed to go from the 67 council um, providers of water services to take those and um, bring them together into four different entities. The best way to put it is one is would be include Watercare and the councils North. There's another one which is a split between. Um, sort of the west and the east in the, the middle of the North Island, um, a third which is the south of the North Island going east and part of the top of the South Island, and then the, the final one is a large swathe of the, of the South Island which approximates the Naitahu tahu region.
0: So in practice, does that mean that a person in Christchurch could be funding the upgrades for Invercargill?
1: Uh, there will need to be an amalgamated asset management plan. Let me just give you an, um, an example. It might be appropriate to use, say, some trenchless technology to fix some pipes. So it might be that one of these new organisations procures a contractor to put in some trenchless pipes and that they will do some in Christchurch at the same time as that they're doing one in Invercargill. Now, previously, that might not have occurred because the amount that was appropriate to be able to do under an asset management plan in Christchurch wouldn't have warranted or wouldn't have been able to afford that type of technology. And so some of this is about what can you do when you've got some economies of scale such that you can get better outcomes. One of the pieces is around being able to have longer procurement or more certainty for contractors and and consultants that are providing the services at the moment that they're going to be still doing um, particular tasks in three, four, five years time, because at the moment you tend to have things very much on a three-year basis, because that's the electoral cycle.
0: A lot of the things that uh, councils or certainly some councils seem to be upset about is the idea that the, they would lose control of the assets that they've put the money into for however long. Why has it been deemed appropriate that that should be controlled elsewhere?
1: There's a lot of work that's been going on in terms of making sure under this under this model that there is enough local voice. Because we're in a process when one piece of legislation is before the Finance and Select Committee, the Water Service Entity Bill, um, and another piece of legislation is coming further down the track, um, probably before Christmas, we don't have all the details. And so it's hard to know precisely what meeting someone would be going to to have a conversation about whether we need to upgrade of a wastewater treatment plant in a particular town in, in, in New Zealand. But without doubt, that will need to occur because there will need to be both in terms of the conversations with the regional councils in terms of resource consents. There will need to be conversations about getting um, building consents. There will need to be a dialogue around making sure that the council um, and the community is um, understands the options um, and is being able to participate in those in those processes. Because we all know, in practice, if you if you put up a proposal and you haven't done your consultation, then you won't get a resource consent the first time round. And so, I think there is a real need to make sure that uh, some of the details that will need to be developed. You know, they're coming, and I, I'm not in a position to tell you you know all the nuts and bolts
0: okay that's fair enough so if we can summarize that then where is the government at with its plans on this
1: there will be a, the second piece of legislation that will provide more details in terms of um, precisely which assets are being transferred to which um, of the entities um, and just some of the finer details that will be will be there um, i am expecting that piece of legislation to be introduced soon There is also going to be another piece of legislation around the economic regulator and consumer protection. And that helps, again, to make sure that you have the local voice because in terms of the economic regulatory regimes, one of the questions that all economic regulators around the world ask of the parties that they're regulating is, have you done the consultation? Have you had that, you know, is the assets that you are proposing to be subject to the the economic regulatory regime? Have you got buy-in from your communities? And what's the mechanism through which you've done that?
0: Given how much we don't know then, does it surprise you just how heated and controversial this debate's
1: become? I think one of the problems that is perhaps behind the level of of heat in the topic is that a lot of people, perhaps the majority of New Zealanders, don't tend to think about what happens when you turn on the tap or you flush the toilet or you see storm water or a, or a rain event and what happens. Lots of people talk about water's free. Well, it costs a lot of money to make sure that the water that you drink is safe and it, and it costs a lot of money to make sure that when you flush the toilet or you, or you empty, you your washing up in the, in the sink or you take a shower, that waste is being managed in a way that's appropriate. So I think what we need to be able to do, if I could you know, wind back the clock 20 years, we ought to have been having a conversation about the importance of water. And so I think there is a real need to have a con- conversation about uh, you know, conservation and about thinking about water as a tonga, as a treasure, rather than just seeing it as um, something that can be wasted without a consequence.
0: Now, to dig into just why the government's plans are so controversial, I'm joined by local government and civic issues reporter for Stuff, Stephen Walton. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, pop quiz. What are the three waters?
2: So the three waters, we've got drinking water, pretty straightforward. That's your tap that you get water to drink from. You've got wastewater, So that's sort of everything that you, you know, toilets, Well, even when you sink drains, that's wastewater. And stormwater, stormwater is essentially water from the heavens, from uh, clouds, rain, hail. And then I guess the infrastructure for that is that handles all that water. Nailed
0: it. Perfect. That's that's exactly (laughs) the way you're an expert. Okay. So if I can be brutally honest for a second, yep. Stormwater, boring. Wastewater, boring. Drinking water, important, but equally, something I enjoy taking for granted. So why is this so controversial?
2: Well, I think it's become controversial because the government's gone out and proposed the model that it wants to follow. And it hasn't been universally well received. There are some pockets of support, but you do have uh, Christchurch, for example, unanimously opposed at the council there. Uh, Auckland Council's been against it as well. So there's your two biggest councils, first of all, not on board with this. And certainly there's been regions that, have been against it. A few, a few people have come out and supported it. Yeah, the concerns really have been about a loss of um, sort of control and ownership. That, that seems to be a big, a big thing, uh, certainly uh, for those smaller regions. Uh, so if I use the example of Waimati District Council, for example, you know, if, if someone in Waimati has a, 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 a burst pipe on their street or something and they are angry about it, they can call up the local council, which represents their little area, Whereas under this new entity, uh, that's an entity that's going to be covering almost the entire South Island, except for sort of the top little top part around Nelson and Tasman. Do
0: the councils get any compensation for the assets that they have been investing in for however long Then go into these mega entities?
2: So they do get compensation. Um, the government has a $2 billion package and that's for councils across the country. So to put it into perspective, it's sort of the money is split up based on how big the council is. So Auckland, I think gets about 500 million of that. Christchurch gets, I think, 122 million and then the smaller councils are, are a lot less. But the intention with that money is that they can spend it on, on other things. So, uh, but the government does have some criteria, so not anything.
0: How does and this seems to be one of the most controversial things that comes up, maybe on Twitter, maybe on Facebook or whatever. Co governance.
2: Yeah, co governance is a, is a big change um, as part of these reforms, uh, or is, you know, one of the big aspects of the reforms. So. Essentially, the, the way the government wants the, the new entities that it's setting up run is they would have a governance group that sets the strategic direction. And I think just maybe for a moment it's important to make clear what governance is, you know, strategic direction, goal setting, long-term sort of focus. This isn't uh, deciding, you know, how much you spend on a pipe in that particular street. That that stuff is left to the professionals. But the, the issue with co-governance... Um, for many as well, we're going from, at the moment, elected councillors that are controlling, essentially, the governance of three waters, whereas the new entity is going to be split 50-50 between mana whenua representatives and council representatives. And that's where I think people are... are some people are uncomfortable with it. Some people um, support it. it. It's Yeah, but it has proven to be a, a bit of a controversial issue.
0: And it's maybe part of the the misinformation that we've, we've seen around. How... How was that spread? How does that start?
2: Yeah, I, I know particularly on co-governance, there was talk early on about um, Māori being given a veto, which I, I don't think that's true at all. Um, from what I've seen, you know, this is basically mana whenua working in partnership with local authorities uh, to govern, and, and govern governance as well is different from ownership, but yeah, to govern these entities essentially. On misinformation, I think it's important to note the biggest one that I think is that A lot of people who talk about Three Waters, especially those who maybe don't read all the stories about it, is people think that councils don't want something to change. They think they're going, no, we don't don't like what the government wants. We just want to keep everything the same, which no one is actually saying that. Almost every council person I speak to goes, something does need to change. The status quo is not sustainable. But the, the issue is that they don't like the government's way of doing that change they want a different way of doing change so that's something I think that's important to keep in mind. Fantastic thank
0: you so much for your time Stephen. No worries. That's it for this episode of Stuff Explained. I'm Jess McCarthy. The audio at the top of this episode is courtesy of RNZ. On behalf of our producers, Philip Tolley and Jono Williams, thank you for listening. If you want more Stuff Explained, find it at stuff.co.nz and be sure to like and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I think you're complaining a whole bunch of issues.
1: You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime
2: statistics. No, I promised I wouldn't have a to you about gotcha journalism. Hang
1: into the national parties. No attack no,
0: line no, there. But I focus. think it, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing that's what we're in there. On. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.